The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We have been focusing on it today as part of our Decision Canada Alberta Matters coverage, climate change. Now, over the past week, we've seen protests around the world, and Edmonton will have its own rally tomorrow at the legislature, as you just heard Eileen talk about. It's scheduled for 1 p.m. with mostly university and high school students organizing it. But how big of a deal is climate change to Canadians? Well, a new poll finds climate change is the number three issue of the federal election campaign behind health care and cost of living. The Ipsos poll conducted for Global News last weekend finds Quebecers most likely to rank at climate change in the top three at 32 percent. The lowest was right here at home, Alberta at 11 percent. Sean Simpson with Ipsos tells Global News it's a new dynamic in this campaign. I don't remember a time when it's been uh, quite so high. So I think that's a new, a new dynamic. Um, of course, it's, uh, it's juxtaposed very strongly against the number two issue, which is affordability, uh, number four and five, which are taxation and the economy. 31% of those surveyed favored doing whatever it takes to fight climate change, even if it hurts our economy. That sentiment is strongest in Quebec. On the other hand, 12% say there's no urgency needed if the expense, if it's at the expense of the economy, and that felt most strongly in Alberta, right here at home. Well, uh, our first interview, our first topic on this today is about last chance tourism. And, and a study suggests it's a real opportunity to educate people about climate change. Now, the author of this study says oftentimes visits to disappearing glaciers, ice fields, are motivated by a desire to learn how humans are affecting the environment. The co-author of this study, Dr. Elizabeth Halpenny, a University of Alberta tourism, recreation and parks researcher, joins us today. Welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Now, first off, curious to know, um, what were your reasons for looking at this issue? What was it that said, I need to take a closer look at this? Well, we know that uh, one for a main reason is that tourism is an incredibly important economic driver here in the in the province of Alberta. We want to make sure that uh, tourists keep coming here, and one of the and an investigation of of uh, the attraction of something like the Athabasca Glacier um, is is an, an important topic to sort of see if if, we, if the glacier is disappearing. We want to know are tourists going to continue to come? How does climate change overall uh, affect and shape visitor experience? and how can we plan to improve visitor experiences as climate change has an impact on our tourism offerings in this province. So, you know, it was interesting, that big report that was released uh, yesterday afternoon talking about our frozen areas uh, in the world and the challenges that uh, that we're facing there. What what, What are we seeing when it comes to climate change and the impact that it's having on the Alpine? Well, in the Alpine, we have uh, significant, from a tourism standpoint, we have significant changes. For example, the rafting season will be will just start to change in terms of length and duration, and uh, we have alpine fishing, uh, recreational fishing opportunities decreasing or being mm. strange, uh, strongly affected by the, the warming temperatures in alpine streams. Uh, we have the change in uh, shifting of ski season, so operators need to make adjustments to this to continue to uh, be financially viable. And, and attract tourists uh, to, and in their provision of experiences in the mountain mountain areas. Now, in the article that I was reading, uh, Dr. Halpany, there was talk about um, uh, this incident, August 10th, 2012, when more than half of 
Uh, the ghost glacier broke free and crashed into Edith mm-hmm. Cavell Pond. I hadn't heard about that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, it's a really terrific example of how a a much-beloved place in Jasper National Park, the Edith Cavell area, um, thousands and thousands of visitors visit that place every year, have picnics with their families, and they they come to admire the alpine landscape, uh, including the glacier there. When when part of that glacier fell off and destroyed much of the infrastructure for visitors, the the area was closed for several, uh, well, for a long time, and since then has been reopened. But it's an incredibly good opportunity for Parks Canada and operators taking uh, tourists to that area to explain uh, the link between human-induced climate change um, and and how um, the, how our visitor attractions are being affected by that, and ultimately visitor experiences. Um, it also has profound impacts on conservation initiatives and how we're trying to protect biodiversity. So, t- wonderful teachable moments from a disaster. Um, that can be derived from that. Um, so that's why it's a really great case study. I want to talk more about those teachable moments coming up, but in this article, um, you talked about last chance tourism, and that was the first time that I'd ever heard that um, that terminology before. Um, and I mean, I, I guess maybe it is kind of obvious what it is, but maybe you could explain what exactly it is and, and where are we seeing it around the world? Sure. Um, uh, delighted to do so. It's, it's a phenomenon that was basically coined maybe about 10 years ago. And it's this idea we're driven as tourists to see things that are rare and unique and potentially are going to disappear in the future. And, and um, we, go on to, we want to travel there and consume it uh, before it disappears. So great examples here in Canada include the glaciers that, we, that we're blessed with, but also things like uh, the endangered polar bear populations, mm-hmm. for example, in parts of the Arctic, such as Churchill, um, people will uh, go in the buggies there and to, to watch the polar bears and understand, though, also uh, the, the challenges that the increasing melting ice pack has for polar bear healthy populations. Those are two examples. Most recently in the news, you might have heard uh, coral bleaching incidences affecting large portions of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia and warnings just this week in Hawaii of uh, coral deaths as well. Mm. Tourists are very interested in trying to see these special places before they are um, they're gone forever. Now, a part of your study, um, you, um, you, you talked, I think it was almost 400 people who were visiting the Athabasca Glacier. Um, and, and that glacier itself um, has quite a history of, of what, is, what is happening with it. When you talk to those, uh, to those folks, uh, was, were a majority of them there um, kind of as a part of this last chance tourism or was it a combination it's a combination. Tourists are always most, mostly, they're very motivated to see beautiful places and share those spaces with loved ones. So uh, motives such as storytelling and bring stories back to family and friends about their adventures is important. But in this case, Athabasca Glacier and the Columbia Ice Fields presents a really great opportunity for them to see a very rarefied landscape. Very few people can actively hike up to a glacier and, and stand at the toe of a glacier. So one of the strengths uh, from a tourism perspective 
perspective and tourism product offering that he, we have here in Alberta is this opportunity to go up to that glacier, to be bussed up to it. And it enables people from across uh, different sections of society to have that experience, to touch the thousand-year-old ice and to drink um, you know, fresh, fresh water and to see that impact, but also to observe those markers that they've strategically put that, that represent how the glacier has receded over time during the last century and to help them understand that this is a, a warming climate that we live in and will have implications for all of us um, moving forward. It would seem to me that at a site like that, that's a perfect place for some messaging, some messaging that you've been talking about um, regarding climate climate change. Um in places where that message is is being used or messaging is being used? Is it being welcomed, do you think? Um, I think messaging needs to be carefully crafted. Um, Much of the social science research around communication suggests that when we talk about climate change, we can't just dwell on the negative um, or the despair-inducing messaging, but we also have to talk about hope and what individuals can do to make changes in their everyday lives to reduce their impact on the climate. Um, We need to create messages also that are very personally relevant. So tying a trip to the Athabasca Glacier and thinking and talking to them to the tourists about where they get their drinking water mm. and maybe if they live in Calgary or Edmonton, is their drinking water being sourced from a glacier? That's that pulling that that story together and making it real um, and relevant to their everyday lives is an incredibly important um, uh, aspect of the communications effort yeah. as well. I would say yeah, making it relevant is hugely important. And you know, as you touched on, you know that that science based messaging versus you know the fear based messaging. Uh, I think people. Um, well, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I, I I guess I never thought that that climate change would be so divisive as it is. And what I've seen it certainly to, to be, um, you know, on my radio show uh, every day when we start when we start talking about it. I mean, you see a number of people that will still, you know, poo poo the science based messaging. And I I think in 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 some cases, you know, that messaging is just not going to it's not going to sink in no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be science and fact-based, but also make it very, um, you know, uh, personal to each individual and trying to bring it back to their own homes and their own families and how this issue will affect them and and really evoke that sort of emotional connection and and help them understand that the actions that they make on, you know, choosing to drive a car today to work also have an impact Mm. on the wildlife and or their potential future visitor experiences in a place like the Athabasca glacier. Uh, Dr. Halpany, I'm curious to know if age was um, was a factor or how age played a role in uh, what you found in the study. Um, did age play a role when it came to, um, you know, visiting the glacier or was it just, you know, I'm there with families or that sort of stuff or were they or were you maybe younger kids more aware of the, the impact of climate change on them? And as well, when it comes to messaging, when it comes to, let's say, a 40-year-old, a 50 year old compared to a 15 year old what does that look like 
Well, in general, we see from just general social science surveys, and um, we see that as people age, become less connected and um, less willing to make efforts to make um, a positive pro-environmental or pro-social change in their life to support community. It's a very strange phenomenon, but that's kind of what we've seen thus far. Um, and that young people are ten- tend to be more responsive to environmental messaging and, and or pro-social messaging and, and, and willing to listen to uh, what actions they could take to um, get engaged and get involved. And I think you'll see evidence of that tomorrow mm-hmm. in the, the climate strike uh, march that's going on at, in Edmonton here and, and around the world. Um, mm-hmm. So, But you're right. Different messaging is needed for different groups, different so- socio-demographic groups. Um, at the Columbia Icefields, it's kind of a unique place because it's a very international destination. Yes. So messaging for, say, a Chinese visitor, uh, which they're not really getting, it, it would be very different than, say, a messaging to, to local residents here in Alberta, perhaps, and certainly the different age groups as well. How do you, ba- how do you balance concern about the site, like the ice fields, and what is happening to it with visitors who are coming to see it and potentially causing more damage to it? That is the greatest uh, difficulty I think we in the tourism sector face is trying to advance the sustainability agenda, but at the same time um, maintain the financial viability of businesses and in, in promoting tourism uh, activities. So the, one of the ideas is that thinking, helping tourists think about their choices, giving them tools to make decisions about their travel destinations. We all need to travel. We all want to have that refreshing break and, and take time, leisure time, on trips to spend with loved ones and experience new places. That's all very exciting, and we're not. That's not going to stop, I think, within the human population. But it's giving people opportunities to make informed choices. So, do they drive rather than take a plane? Uh, do they? They can use tools such as carbon um, calculators and to see what their carbon footprint would be mm-hmm. for a particular trip, and then try to mitigate it. Things like take um, um, a flight to Europe that's a single stop rather than a milk run type flight mm-hmm. that would have a lot higher carbon uh, footprint was, is an example of making those choices. So to giving people more options uh, about their, uh, or giving them more information about how to make good choices is an important point. And operators and, and organizations like Parks Canada, the host agency for that particular site, uh, it's incumbent upon them to be part, partners in that process and helping tourists make good choices. Um, there, there's a there's a lot there for um, you know everyday Canadians. I mean, uh, there's you know some folks uh, out there who have certainly bought in and they're doing whatever they can. There's people who are 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 um, you know pushing back, and then there's there's many people who are just trying to figure out. Oh my gosh, or, or waking up to realizing, okay, maybe I need to be doing something. I should be doing something, and you know where do we where do I start? It 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 does seem somewhat overwhelming um and i think a lot of us start to think of it you know okay what can i do around my home i i honestly don't think about it when i'm traveling and and maybe that you know you've just waved a flag in front of my head uh, dr halpenny and um i think that's a good thing but it's also like oh my gosh it's another thing i have to worry about you know, just it is when we want when we engage in leisure, we want to take a break. We want to restore our minds and bodies, and it's it's we don't want to lay layers of guilt and uh, you must do that and this <laughs> kind of thing in your leisure experiences. So that is the challenge, and so it's really it's important to use positive messaging, use messaging that gives people easy tasks to do um, going forward, easy things like investing in car- carbon offsets. When you book your air ticket, click click a link. All 
also that says, you know, I'll, I'll pay a little bit of money towards an offset program that invests in wetlands and forests mm. that offset your carbon, or to a certain extent, offsets your the carbon footprint that you have in, um, created through your trip. So there's small things we can do incrementally. Another small item would be, you know, upcoming, we have the, the Travel Alberta Industry Conference uh, in Banff this year, and every year they give out awards for Best Environmental um, Operator uh, for their Alto Awards. So there's another, if you go on the website for the uh, Alto Awards, you can see who the previous winners have been. And Tourists can patronize those mm. those those operators who've done a great job at trying to uh, make their businesses sustainable, contribute to local po- uh, local uh, communities, contribute to the to um, protecting the environment, um, and making a difference. So you, that's those are small tasks, but uh, you know that's what we need to do. Before I let you go, you touched on it briefly, but we we, you know, we talked about what what visitors need to do and uh, what you know me and you need to do, but when we talk about parks, the parks themselves and the levels of government, how can they do a better job when it comes when it comes to this? Well, yes, parks need to do a better job or continue to do a good job um, with working hand in glove or to get together with operators to figure out how they plan for infrastructure, um, to, for visitor services and, and or conservation um, outcomes. So that requires investment from government. So government coffers need to support both Parks Canada and Alberta Parks efforts to work collaboratively with operators in terms of communication, in terms of investment of programs such as, for example, investing in um, charging stations for electric cars to come visit the parks, for example, uh, investing in buses uh, moving from Calgary to, say, Banff to reduce the amount of private cars on the road and uh, getting more people on, on public sector kind of transport, which, which uh, again, is a really simple, a simple point of, of reducing the carbon load again. So that collaborative process of not closing doors but maintaining great conversations with the private sector, I think is is one of their one of their main um, uh, avenues towards success on this matter. Dr. Halfany, I want to thank you for this great conversation uh, about this issue. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you.